1: Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life.
2: This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, from the arts to sports, and from business to history, and everything in between, including your stories. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. That's OurAmericanStories.com. They're some of our favorites. And now we bring you another story from Steve Trice, and he's the founder of a leading electronics company called Jasco Products, who tells us the story of his marriage and in light of an upbringing of many divorces and alcoholism. Here's Steve.
3: When Neann and I talked about getting married when we were 23, 24 years old, I told her at one point, I said, you don't want to marry me. I don't think you'd like it. And she said, what do you mean? I want to marry you. And I said, uh, well, I get up and go to work at 7 o'clock in the morning. And I get home at 11 o'clock at night because I had been trained up by my daddy. And I learned how to be, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I was a workaholic, you know. was getting my value out of my job. And she said, I thought very naively at the time, Steve, that's enough for me. That, 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 that's okay, that'll be great. I said, oh, okay. So we went ahead and got married. And a year later, we had our first child. It wasn't that literal, I, I wasn't 11 o'clock every night. And then we had our second child pretty quick after that. At that point, I was off to Target stores in Minneapolis. I'd leave Minneapolis, I'd go to Hong Kong fly back to Tokyo, come back home, get back on the airplane and go to Minneapolis. It, it was just constant. And one day Nan said, uh, Steve, tomorrow, Saturday, I've accepted a, a part-time job. I'm gonna be working at a, uh, at a gift shop. I said, uh, oh, that's neat. Who's gonna take care of the kids? And she said, um, Steve, I've been taking care of the kids for the last few years. It's your problem. You figure it out. The previous Saturday was the last Saturday that I ever worked. I never worked another Saturday. I had always worked on Saturdays. So I started becoming a little bit better. And then we had a significant problem a few months later. And she said, Steve, this thing of you being gone all the time, It's not working. And I said, but wait a minute. Do you remember what she said back before we got married that, you know, uh, seven to 11, that that was fine. That was all you needed. She said, guess what? I've changed the rules. Not going to work anymore. And I said, oh, and after being raised in the family that I was raised in, I was scared to death that I was going to lose my family. And I would, on that day, and, and I look back, did I know the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Can I look back and see His hand on my life all the way through my life? And that day, I knew that I didn't want to lose my family. And I knew that I was getting ready to. And I went to my dad the next day, and I said, Dad, I'm not working after six o'clock anymore. So now I'm Monday through Friday, early in the morning until six o'clock, and it got better and better and better and better. And I worked out of workaholism and learned it, and learned to take care of my family, to be a boy scout leader, to go on campouts with my kids, to go to the lake and, and spend weekends and water ski and all those things, and just loved being a family man. We had a fight one day, I remember exactly where it was, right outside of our master bathroom in our bedroom. We had had an argument, and with my background and my mentality, and I, I was fed up. And I said, uh, uh, honey, I'm out of here. She kind of took about two steps forward and stood right in front of me, and she looked up at me And she said, Steve, you might be able to walk out that door, but I just want you to know, I can't. She said, I said, till death do us part. And I believe it and I'm committed to it. And uh, you got to do what you got to do. But what I hope you'll do is stand here with me and we'll work it out together. I can't say enough about how my bride has helped me in my life. My bride Neanne and I have now been married for 48, almost 49 years. Our marriage is growing. Our marriage is getting better every day. We pray together. We ask the Lord to grow our marriage. Our sons have been married 19 and 20 years. We pray for them that the Lord will teach our sons how to love their wives their wives how to love and respect their husbands. that they'll teach our sons and their wives how to train up their children in the way that they should go. Our oldest grandchild is 13, and we pray for her husband. She did not have a husband yet. She will someday, maybe. And we pray for for our little 11 and 10-year-old, three little guys. We pray for their wives. We pray for their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren and that they will grow up as God's disciples following him.
2: And great job, as always, to Alex, and a special thanks to Steve Trice for sharing that story. And it's a humbling story, but that's a lot of guys, and and frankly, a lot of women, too. We, We have our problems that we bring to any marriage. And workaholism, well, in the end, that was Steve's, getting his identity through work, and having a wife who loved him enough to bring him out of that. As he put it, I worked out of being a workaholic. Steve Trice's story, his brides, his family, here on Our American Story. <music> Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, And we continue with our American stories. The Lone Star Mower Racing Association, and that's L-S-M-R-A for you fans, started in 1998. But the sport of lawnmower racing goes back to 1973, when an Irishman named Jim Gavin and a few of his mates were fed up with the hefty price tag that came with most motorsports, and wanted to create a sport that was cheap and accessible to everyone. As the pints flowed, they looked out the window, and there was the groundsman mowing the grass. It was then that they realized, hey, everyone has a lawnmower. That's when they decided to have a race. Eighty mowers showed up for the very first contest. Here's Julie Tinman with her story about the greatest show on turf.
4: Well, I think I'm pretty much a unique unicorn. I don't know anybody in my family who is into lawnmower racing, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, on the southwest side of town. My parents worked, each worked two full-time jobs, so they were hardly at home because they were always working, you know, trying to provide for us. And I didn't know it at the time, but we were poor, which was the best kind of poor, right? You didn't know you were poor when you were a kid. You only figured it out when you got older, and you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't get to do all those things. But I kept so active that I didn't let any of that really bother me very much. You know, and after high school, um, I did go off to, to college. Unfortunately, I found myself in the same position my parents were in. I had to work two jobs just to take care of myself and pay for for my apartment and where I lived and food and all that stuff. I think what minimum wage was four bucks an hour at the time. So I was working forty to sixty hours a week. So it took me eight years to graduate, but I did it. I got my bachelor's in accounting. And after that, instead of going to Europe with my friends, I decided to get married. (laughs) And we would go kayaking. We would go fishing um, off the piers. And we also started cycling. Because basically, you know, it took the stress out of life because he and I both had full-time jobs that were very demanding and very stressful. So we found great great pleasure in doing these um, these activities together and it also you know created a bond um, between us Uh, so we were doing that we're doing our thing and then I um, was blessed with some children and um, he and I raised these two beautiful kids so the kids are grown they're what 12 and 14 now and he and I are watching YouTube (laughs) And these lawnmower racing uh you know men come up on the on the screen, and I'm looking at that, and I'm like, "Wow rob, I think i I would do that and he's like, "You would and i'm like yeah i would I would race a lawnmower and my husband he's all into cars, like he didn't do sports growing up, he built cars that was his thing, so I don't know what I unlocked there, but <laughs> I definitely unlock a piece of him he has you know a piece of his uh hadn't been able to use you know the skills that you need to, to build something so he wanted to make sure that he and I both knew what we were getting into so we looked up lawnmower racing in Texas came across Ellis and Murray and found they were racing at um, a track called Camp Shayla over in uh, Mejia Texas it's kind of to the right of Fort Worth and um, we visited the track, and it was just like I imagined, everyone going fast around a track on a lawnmower. Some of the faster ones looked like little go-karts. So he basically, uh, what he had to do is look up the rules for the U.S. Lawnmower Racing Association to see like, what did he need to do to build this lawnmower so I could race it. So. We bought our property about 12 years ago, and when we bought our property, we had to buy a riding lawnmower because it was too much to do, you know, a push lawnmower. It's been retired; it's sitting in our, you know, graveyard of stuff out back. So we decided to to resurrect it. A fun fact about this lawnmower that, for me, anyways, is that um, when we first bought our property. My husband would have me sit in the little trailer attachment to the back of the riding lawnmower. And my kids were like one and three at the time. So he would put the kids in in the trailer with me and we'd do like little hayride around our property with the kids. And that's what we did to entertain them in the evening. So I just find that it's just cute that we are now using this lawnmower (laughs) to, you know, go fast around a track. So so one of the questions that I'm always asked, the very first question, is about the blades. Like everyone's really worried about the lawnmower blades. And yes, I'm here to reassure everybody that the blades of the lawnmower are the first thing that are that it is removed. Like we don't race with lawnmower blades. I guess he reinforced the frame, lowered the chassis. He had to put a new uh, steering system and a new braking system, system in. Oh, a new lawnmower tires, right? He had the darndest time trying to put the tires on the wheel with axle. He bought a new 708 Predator engine that gives like 22 horsepower. We can go up to like 35 miles per hour. It can go pretty fast. I know it kind of seems slow, but when you're not wearing a seat belt, it, it's still a little scary. <laughs> so... He had lots of fun doing that. Like I said, when he was a kid, he, that's what he did. And now he, get, he gets to use, use that skill set to build his wife a lawnmower racing. And um, we didn't have a trailer, so we, we just had our Nissan truck. So he had to go buy some ramps and we pushed the lawnmower up the, up the ramps into the trailer, hoping to Jesus that it wouldn't fall to the right or the left. <laughs> <laughs> are on top of us, but that, that didn't happen, you know, thank goodness. So now that I've been racing for a while, uh, my husband, he's decided to get on, in on the action and he bought himself an FXT lawnmower and I actually have another lawnmower, an FXS, that I'm still learning how to drive. So I'm really comfortable in driving my GPT that goes about 35 miles an hour around the track but I haven't become 100% comfortable in the FXS, which probably goes between 45 to 50 miles an hour. It's it's definitely dangerous. But that's my next goal, is to be 100% comfortable driving that. (laughs) The first time I ever raced, right, my husband was taking pictures of me, and he's like, Julie, I can see the fear in your eyes. (laughs) And I'm like, yep, it was there. (laughs) <laughs> the fear was there. So I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, how I'm about to go out, go out on the track is that, you know, I have to put, what, what's that word? How do you say? You have to put your mouth where your foot is or your foot where your mouth is at. <laughs> so I'm like, this is it. I am, I am, I'm gonna do this. So basically you race in classes. They go from like JP is for the young kids. Um, but the highest classes are FXS and FXT. And basically, when you see a, tw- a T at the end of any of our classes, that just means you're racing an engine with twin, twin cylinders. It's supposed to go faster than a single cylinder engine. So lawnmower racing is, is a co-ed sport, right? It doesn't matter uh, if you're a boy or girl. And basically, the person who wins is the person who brings the, the best riding lawnmower and has the best driving skills. Because at the end of the day, you could have the best driving skills, but if you haven't worked on your lawnmower, it's gonna break, you know, two, three laps in and then you're out of the count. And I see that happen a lot of times. People drive for hours and then their lawnmowers aren't working, and I that's always disheartening, right? But basically the person with the best equipment and the best driving skills wins because we're all racing on the same track and we all should be following the same, the same rules.
2: And you've been listening to Julie Tinman tell her story about the greatest show on turf, and that, of course, is lawnmower racing. And when we come back, more of her story and her husband's, and millions of American hobbyists who do all kinds of fun and silly things with their time, here on Our American Story.
0: Enjoy.
2: OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash OAS. Betterhelp, hel com slash
5: OAS. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
0: Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on post reports, you'll get
4: fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too.
2: And we continue here with our American stories and lawnmower racer, Julie Tinman, and her husband, who is the, let's just say pit boss, crew, engineer, and everything else in between. We continue with this family story about a family hobby. Here's Julie.
4: Everybody for the most part is is really nice and encouraging, you know, we take tips from each other mainly the senior the senior guys are are telling us youngins how it should be done I have on occasion been been able to keep out ahead of uh, ahead of some of the the gentlemen I I race with and afterwards you know they talk about cutting the wires on my engine or letting my gas out you know stuff like that but they take it easy on me because I'm a girl um which I don't know if I like or don't like but I'll I'll take it you know (laughs) We all have to pick out a three-digit code to put on our, our lawnmower. And like some people race for Jesus. They race for cancer. They race for a family name. On my personal one, I, um, we don't have a theme. We, oh, I just chose the code 45T because that meant a lot to me. It, for, <clears throat> it means, it means, it's double meaning, right? It's kind of like, it's double meaning. But the first meaning is for our 45th president. And the second meaning is, it's basically, basically about my age and T, you know, the first initial of my last name. <laughs> You know, you have the inside track and you have the outside track. In my first lawnmower race, I rode the outside track the whole way through. (laughs) And at the time, there was this wonderful lady, Jennifer, and she would just, I'm like, oh, there goes Jennifer. There goes Jennifer. There goes Jennifer. I think she lapped me like three times. I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed that, that I wasn't more brave. I didn't have you know additional courage Um, but everybody was very complimentary and encouraging Um, you know after I did the race and every time I I went out there I just got faster and faster and now my life's mission is to never get lapped that's my life's mission I really I want to win you know I want to play first second third but um, at the end of the day if I didn't get lapped I am doing good (laughs) so um, one of the things that I always wondered is does it hurt when I see these you know guys fall over I kept wondering that and finally you know God answered my question because there I guess it was a couple of months in. I was going too fast and I got caught on the high side and I flew off my lawnmower and ran over my foot landed on my back but I was fine. It was fine. It was a little like you go in slow motion as you're kind of flying through the air and as you feel the lawnmower kind of going over your racing shoes. That's why you wear racing shoes. So, what I go out there in is a motorcycle racing jacket that has, you know, the paddings on the elbows and the shoulders and the back. And you have to wear long blue jeans or any jeans. Um, It's good if you, in the upper classes, if you wear fire-resistant pants, because sometimes your engine does catch on fire. And you wear a neck brace and a helmet. One of the things that I find helpful for me as a racer to mentally prepare for this race so that I am competitive, 'Cause I can't go out there like you you know, happy go lucky, right? Happy go lucky is not gonna win the race. <laughs> so I kinda have to change my thought process a little bit and Curtis O'Brien, he's one of our one of our guys, actually president of the Camp Shayla Racing Association, he says, you know, just get angry, you know, just pretend like you're you're you know Actually, I can't really say what he said, but at the end of the day, (laughs) at the end of the day, the thought is just to, just to rile yourself up, to get angry, to pretend like you're, you're driving like a bat out of hell to get, get out of a a place you don't want to be, right? So there I am. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm angry. I need to, you know, drive super fast and just. Do all the things I told you earlier that that you shouldn't do, right? You think about the safety of others, (laughs) and you do. But at the same time, you have to make yourself a little bit angry so that it's a different part of your brain you use, I guess. The number one injury in lawnmower racing is a broken collarbone. So I always want to go fast, um, but at the end of the day, one of the things that our track steward always says is, we all have jobs to go home to on Monday, right? We have jobs and we have families. So you're out there, you be safe. And if you can't pass someone safely, then you're not passing them. So we all try to remember that when we're out there. But when you're trying to win, <laughs> sometimes it's hard. But uh, we've been very fortunate. We have have not had any, any racing injuries that you couldn't recuperate from the next day so we've been very fortunate but but those things happen but i don't let that fear take over me so much i mean it is there it does exist i mean if you're not afraid when you're out there at least a little bit then there may be something wrong there you know it's good to be afraid for your life and afraid for somebody else's life and we race for trophies we don't race for money most of the time sometimes i'll have special events and they'll put up some money But at the end of the day, it's for fun. It's to hang out with your friends and your family. I keep telling my husband that my dream is that one day that we're we're retired. We both can retire. And all we do is drive around the United States racing at the different events. Because there's events in Louisiana and Alabama and Georgia and Missouri and Illinois. They're everywhere. And I would love, love to... To go out and race, race everybody, because normally you just race with your same group of people who have lawnmower racing, unless they come out of town. So it's great to race with other guys because you learn. I don't know. You, they kind of push you a little bit, you know, especially if they're faster. You kind of just want to keep up, <laughs> so you can you push yourself even more. Now I have to warn you if you do start lawnmower racing. One leads to two, two leads to four, four leads to eight. (laughs) So it is very addicting because you do have so much fun driving them. You just want to drive them more, more and more. And you see all these cool lawnmower setups and and you just want to try it out. So there is my word of caution. So in a nutshell, that is um, what lawnmower racing is about, really, giving you adventure for the weekend and while you're hanging out with your friends and your family and allowing you to enjoy life.
2: And a great job, as always, by Greg Hengler on the storytelling. And a special thanks to Julie Tinman with sharing her story, her passion, her family passion, and that's racing lawnmowers. My life's mission, she said, never get lapped. I want to win, get second, even third. But I don't want to get lapped. You gotta love it. We race for trophies, she said. It's for fun and to hang out with friends and family. The professionalization of sport can actually ruin all the fun. And that's what lawnmower racing brings to these folks who pursue the sport and so many other hobbies across this great country. Julie Tinman's story, her husband's and her family's, here on Our American Stories.
0: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
1: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen.
2: This is Our American Stories. And today we bring you the story of Tom Ryan. And Tom is a 95 year old listener of our show in Los Angeles. Tom had an unusual upbringing. He grew up on Long Island, New York, living behind a funeral parlor run by his family. Here's Tom.
6: I was there on Saturday morning when the sheriff arrived to talk to Grandma. It was the day after the big snowstorm. My folks were away and I had stayed with Grandma overnight. At age 10, I was too young to stay home alone, but staying at Grandma's was not too cool either, because, you see, she ran a funeral home. Sometimes there were dead bodies only a few steps from the living room at the back of the house where we watched TV. It was hard to get too relaxed when I looked over at the dark doorway leading to the bodies. That Friday night, There was a very old lady being waked in one of the chapels, Mrs. Jackson, a friend of grandma's who had died of cancer. The sheriff sat at the kitchen table with his notebook in front of him. He asked grandma if anything unusual had happened the last night because they were searching for an escaped convict from a prison two towns away. He is a murderer and very dangerous, the sheriff said. They were setting up roadblocks to try to catch him. Grandma didn't answer directly, but said, we have a funeral going out this morning, old Mrs. Jackson. We had to put her in a closed casket because the cancer was so bad. Will the hearse and the limos be able to get to the cemetery? Grandma asked. Yes, the sheriff replied. The road is open to the cemetery. What about anything happening last night? Grandma gave me a stern look that he couldn't see and told him nothing had happened. It was real quiet, she said. I didn't say a word, but as soon as the sheriff left, I asked her, what was going on? It wasn't like grandma to lie. She just shook her head and started to cry. I thought back about last night and remembered that shortly before dark, Grandma kept looking out the side window on the driveway every few minutes since she was expecting a delivery of new caskets. Suddenly, there were yellow headlights shining on the snow outside the window, and a loud knocking came on the side door where the caskets were brought in. Fred, the driver, shouted, I have to hurry before I get snowed in. He had unloaded two caskets and started on another one. Wait, Grandma said, I only ordered two, not three. I have to leave this one too, Fred said. I'll never get to the funeral home in the next town and I don't want the weight on my truck. Okay, Grandma said, if it helps you out. After he was gone, Grandma closed up tight My folks were supposed to call to see how things were, but the phone wasn't working. The TV weatherman said the lines were down all over and roads were closed, so we were all by ourselves. After a while, I started to fall asleep, and Grandma helped me upstairs and put me into a soft feather bed. She left the door open a little, so some light came in. I remember that I fell asleep, but woke up later when I thought I heard voices downstairs. I had started to get out of bed, but it was so cold, I crawled back in. The next morning, I asked Grandma about it, but she said I must have dreamed it. Later in the morning, the men who worked for Grandma came in and then loaded the casket into the hearse, When my folks came to pick me up, I saw Grandma holding onto my father's arm and talking to him. I heard her say, I need your help. She took him into the office and closed the door. I thought I heard her crying. It was five years later when Grandma died that my folks told me the real story of what had happened that Friday night. It seemed that the voices I thought I had heard were those of Grandma and the escaped convict. The caskets that were delivered that night were made by prison labor, and the convict, with the nickname of Rabbit, had hidden in one of those empty caskets. When the delivery man had left, Rabbit had opened the inside latch and let himself out of the casket. He didn't know, however, that Grandma had fallen asleep in her big chair in the living room and she woke up startled and scared to see him standing near the fireplace holding a large knife he had taken from the embalming room. Threatening her to silence by holding the knife under her throat, he asked for car keys and money, but Grandma didn't have a car and didn't drive. When he realized that the storm had blocked the roads and there was no phone service, He asked Grandma when someone was coming with a car. She told him that there was one funeral schedule for the next morning, if the roads were open, and men coming with a hearse and limousine. When he saw some of my things on the couch and found out that I was upstairs, Grandma pleaded with him to let me sleep. She would help him get in the casket with Mrs. Jackson and be taken away in the hearse the next morning to the cemetery. He could then sneak out of the casket when it was left in the cemetery storeroom for a few minutes until the family arrived. Rabbit didn't like the idea at all, especially getting into the coffin with a dead lady. He decided that he had no other choice, but he made it very clear to Grandma that if she was fooling him and he was caught, he would escape again and kill not only her, but also all of her family. Grandma was terrified by this evil man. It was arranged that early on Saturday morning, Rabbit would get into the casket, and then Grandma would close it and latch it shut. He was very hesitant, especially when he saw and smelled old Mrs. Jackson. But finally, he climbed in, holding his nose and threatening Grandma with a painful death if things didn't work out. He also ordered Grandma to get him some hot coffee in a thermos so they could drink it when it got cold in the casket. And she did so just before closing the lid. The plan did work. When the man came and took the casket away and loaded it into the hearse, Grandma hadn't said anything about Rabbit being in the casket. After his private meeting with Grandma, my dad had immediately called the sheriff and arranged to stop in and see him. The police still hadn't found Rabbit, despite the roadblocks and searches of the nearby forests. They were mystified as to how he could have disappeared so completely. Sheriff, my dad said, as you know, this man was a murderer who would stop at nothing to escape. He told the sheriff how Rabbit had hidden in the casket at the prison and had ended up in Grandma's funeral home. He also explained how Rabbit had threatened Grandma and her family, so she was forced to help him escape in Mrs. Jackson's casket. What, said the sheriff? Why didn't she call me as soon as he was in the casket? I could have nabbed him right then and there. She was too scared, Sheriff but my dad continued a little smile playing around his lips and pride in his voice. She was also smart enough to have slipped a large amount of sleeping pills into the coffee she gave him to drink in the casket. The sheriff thought for a moment and said, Wait, if Rabbit drank that coffee, heck, he might have been buried alive in the casket with Mrs. Jackson. The sheriff almost shouted as he got his phone out. We'll have to dig up the casket immediately. If we find him in the casket, I may have to take Grandma into custody. She could be in a lot of trouble. Wait, my dad said. Wait a minute, Sheriff, before you do anything. Wait? No, no, we can't lose any more time. That man may still be alive. If there was enough air in the casket, Maybe he is. The sheriff was now calling to his assistance as he rose from his chair. Get the car ready, ready to roll, and call the coroner. No, sheriff. Please listen, my father replied quietly. Sit down a minute. You see, there is no casket. No casket? The sheriff looked confused. Of course there is a casket. They had the funeral... And it was buried this morning. No, my father replied quietly. You see, Sheriff, Mrs. Jackson's last wishes were that she be
2: cremated. My goodness, it does not get better than that, folks. Tom Ryan's story, his grandma's story, my goodness, poor Rabbit's story, here on our American story.